This is storyteller, speaker, and communications coach Don J. Fraser, hailing from both California and Brooklyn, New York City, and lover of all things Caribbean and Latin America, especially salsa in both its dance form and its chip form. And you are listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 164 of Chasing Dreams. Before we go any further, guys, here's a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by our Patreon campaign supporters. Thanks to all of you for not just your monetary support, but for also believing in my mission to help inspire, empower, and equip people to chase their dreams. Your help makes it possible for me to continue that work. For more information on our Patreon campaign, and or if you'd like to donate a dollar a month to help keep the show going, you can learn more at amyj21.com slash Patreon. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks again. Dream Chasers, I want you to meet Dawn J. Frazier. She is a storyteller, educator, and nationally acclaimed speaker based out of New York City. She is the host of the live show and upcoming podcast, Barbershop Stories, which features storytellers performing true tales in barbershops and salons. Dawn has created programs for college students, educators, and entrepreneurs to develop leadership potential through storytelling, and is an instructor with the Moth and the Story Studio. She was featured amongst some of the nation's top innovators and changemakers as a speaker at TED at NYC and has performed in shows including The Moth, Main Stage, Story Collider, Risk and the Unchained Tour. She loves being a twin, a Trinidadian, and tweetable at Dawn J. Fraser. Guys, welcome, Dawn. Hey, Dawn, welcome to the show. Hey, Amy, how's it going? You know, it's nice over here on the East Coast for once, but you're on the West Coast now. What's it like out there? You know, I just got here yesterday, and it's actually really nice. It's kind of this in between, it's not fall. And it's not summer. It's not really cold. I would say it's probably like in the seven. No, probably more in the 80s today. So it's comfortable. That's not bad. Yeah. I feel like Northern California, a lot of times it's just either comfortable or rainy. You know, it's, this is true. It's not bad. This yeah. is true. Now, Don, it's interesting because we met at Podcast Movement and we just started talking. And I, the moment we talked and I, I heard what you were doing and what your background, I'm like, yeah, you got to come on the show. Absolutely. And you know, what was interesting and the reason mostly I, I wanted you to come on the show is you don't have a traditional background. So you did a bachelor's, you did a master's, but you didn't get what some would say a typical day job. No. And that mostly came about because of the crisis of 2008, to be honest with you. So not intentional? No, I think that I, you know, so I graduated in 2004 and I moved to New York City. and. 
I got a job, you know, it was, it was fine for that first year. It was a nonprofit type of job. Um, but I wasn't that great at it. So I got laid off. Uh, and that kind of led into 2006 because it's kind of started the job late 2004. Um, and for whatever reason, I just wasn't getting my groove. I wasn't really finding positions, you know, like I was really interested in the connection between like um, arts, like, you know, either like dance or capoeira or salsa, <laughs> maybe not salsa at that point in time, <laughs> but, <laughs> but different type of art forms and the way that it could be used to build communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, internationally, like the way that hip hop speaks to people across the world and kind of shares the stories of African Americans in Harlem and the Bronx and Brooklyn, um, or how Capoeira could come from Africa and Brazil. Yet, you know, as somebody who was training it myself, I was learning to sing in Portuguese. I was learning to play various instruments, and so I was just fascinated at the way that 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 arts could play a role in actually like community building and uh, learning about each other's cultures. But at the same time, I, I just wasn't finding the kind of jobs that I thought that I would be doing, which was more like, you know, directing these arts programs or running different programs. And so when 2008 came, we all know what happened there. It was um, it was crisis not only for Dawn, but it was crisis for everybody. A lot of people, and, yeah. It was a tough time. Yeah. It was a really tough time. So at that point in time, I actually just started volunteering because I was broke and I um, was going and mostly doing temp jobs in New York City, you know, anything from administrative work to catering work to waiting work. Um, But, you know, the thing that really was always interesting to me was I always listened to a lot of radio, which is why I also love podcasts, which is, you know, part of the reason why I'm still in this podcasting space and how we all met. But, um, But as I was listening to the radio one day, I heard about uh, a show. I thought at the time it was just a show, uh, but it was actually an organization called The Moth. And they had lots of shows, I realized, almost like nationwide. And so I thought it was really cool that there were people across the nation who were getting up, telling true stories with live, with no notes. And, um, And since I had some free time on my hands, I just started volunteering with them, saying like, hey, I'd love to help coach your high school students or, you know, anybody who would, uh, that you work with in terms of your partnerships. And they're like, great, you know? So, you know, every, every week at seven o'clock in the morning, I'd head out to East New York and I would work with these high school students on telling me their stories. And, you know, it was like first period, nobody was awake. You know, half the kids are just like out of it. I'm impressed you were awake. <laughs> I'm impressed. I was awake too. I was like, what am I doing at seven o'clock in the morning AM if I wasn't employed? You know, that makes no sense. <laughs> but you know, it, it was, it was just one of those things where I was like, all right, well, it's once a week. And uh, I kind of started connecting with like the, the students and the kids. And, and like after a while they they started asking me like, all right, cool. You know, Dawn, like you've been asking us for like, you know, our experiences and moments and stories and that kind of stuff but you haven't shared any of your own. And I was like, oh, snap. You're wow. Right. <laughs> yeah. Put a mirror in front of you there. You know what I'm saying? So I eventually had to start performing and also kind of sharing my own story as a performer. And, you know, lo and behold, after I started both performing and coaching, uh, after a couple of months, the people from the moth, well, I should also mention that the person I was working under 
at the time he was a part-time employee, he went to a full-time employee. And I went from a volunteer to a contract. So I was actually getting paid for the work that I was doing out in East New York. And little by little, they're like, we need to hire you. We, you know, we want to be able to like work with you a lot more. And I, I was like, excellent, you know? Um, so I found something that I liked, but then the challenge became like, there's not enough of this work. I mean, I was only doing this once a week or maybe, maybe twice a week at most. So little by little, this, uh, this practice of both performing and then coaching became something that became a little bit more, uh, systematic for me in terms of actually making it into a business. So it was, um, it was just like, you know, something that kind of started off as volunteering and then realizing that people actually enjoyed the fact, I mean, they didn't, they never even asked me for a resume when I was actually officially hired at the moth. And to them, it didn't matter that I had been fired from my other jobs. They didn't care about um, my background. They, they cared about the fact that I could teach and uh, they cared about the fact that I was passionate about the work. So, and once I realized that, that, that they saw that in me, I was like, okay, I want to be able to do this as much as humanly possible. And so, uh, and the best way to do that was by becoming a professional speaker, you know, and a professional storyteller uh, in terms of the performance side. And then on the coaching side, uh, becoming a business meant becoming a a communications coach. So working with people on their stories, working with people on their speeches. So now, six years later, because I would say that this really started taking off in about 2012. Mm -hmm. So now like six years later, you know, I have corporate clients like Spotify and I have nonprofit clients like, um, you know, the Fortune Society who works on behalf of people who have been wrongfully convicted of crimes. Um, and uh, I'm traveling the world from like South Africa to Kenya, uh, working with different AIDS advocacy organizations. Um, you know, I'm constantly like on the road with different organizations and different businesses, either coaching them on how to tell the best version of their story for business or the best version of their speech uh, in order to inspire or persuade a political campaign uh, or going out and doing my own speech um, or my own TED talk, which was also like the pinnacle, like a highlight of of my own personal speaking career. So, uh, So yeah, it's just kind of, it's grown, it's blossomed, and I feel blessed to finally be in a position where I'm being paid for this work. So what I love about this, right, is how it began. Because you didn't go seeking money, you volunteered, you found something you loved, and you said, hey, I want to be a part of this. You didn't get paid in the beginning, yet you still went. And not a lot of people would do that, right? Especially in 2008. Around that time, not a lot of people would be like, I'm a volunteer because that's that's hours out of your day. That's part time job at McDonald's, Apple, you know, wherever that you could have taken for some kind of money to come in some income, but you still held true to it. Now, did you do that volunteering and have something on the side to kind of (laughs) get you through the day or were you kind of focused on the volunteering? I mean, I was mostly focused on the volunteering in terms of like what I love to do, but I, I needed to do something because, you know, my rent wasn't going to pay itself. Right. And neither were my parents going to pay it for me. 
so I did. I, I mean, I definitely took um, what a note that I took from a lot of my acting friends um, and my friends who did not have traditional nine to fives was I was like, you know, I was asking them like, okay, how do you guys, how do you guys actually manage your time when you have a, um, like you might have a, a casting call at noon on like a Tuesday and then maybe something else on Friday. Like, how do you actually manage that when, if you have a job? And they were like, well, we have different types of jobs. And I didn't even really explore that in terms in, until this particular year. And, um, but yeah, so I would say that the volunteering was my main focus in terms of like what I loved to do. But then like my acting friends and my actor friends, I should say, um, I was doing anything from like catering to temping. Uh, the temping was actually kind of hard because, because I did have a master's. Mm-hmm. Um, I was either like way overqualified yeah, or way underqualified for like real jobs. Um, so sometimes even the temping was, was a pain in the butt. Um, I remember like I, I have both a nose ring and um, a loop on my, on my ears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember I went into this one um, temp agency and, you know, I just really needed some money. I, mean, I just was, I was just trying to do anything. You I just should. trying to survive. Yeah. I was trying to survive. I was wearing a suit. I was like, you know, not typically me, but I dressed the part and the recruiter at, and, you know, and, and mind you, like I was, I was selling her. I was like, look, I can do administrative work. I can do management work. I can like, you know, I can hustle, whatever. I have a master's from Harvard. You know, I can, I can do this. Trust me. I can do this. Um, and she looks at me and she's like, can you do anything about that? And she pointed to my nose ring. Oh man. And I was like, it was one of those moments where, you know, I'm a black woman. Um, so it's not like discrimination and issues are just around visual appearance. Um, you know, they're going to come up and you kind of know when, when somebody is being either, um, not, I don't know what the word, <laughs> you know, just not really authentic with, um, with the potential of a person and all they're really seeing is like a nose ring or a skin color. And I was like, no, I mean, I can take this out, but there's still going to be a hole there. (laughs) So needless to say, I didn't get that temp gig, but you know, it was New York city. I just kept on finding things that I could do uh, until, until finally little by little the work as a, um, as a coach, like in terms of coaching, started to pay just a little bit more than my work in catering or my work and, you know, just promoting different products around city. And and see, it's that dedication that, you know, hustle, grind, get it done. And and it's not what you anticipated. It's not what you expected. You come out and I never related more than the overqualified part of your story because I've heard it, been there, done that applied got rejected and it's is you're just trying to survive you're just trying to like make it through and yet did you find joy or some kind of comfort in the volunteering you were doing i loved it yeah i absolutely loved it it was it was very counterintuitive because i wasn't getting paid but it was one of those things where i would actually get up in the morning to go do this mm-hmm. and i felt better about it at the end of a session that I did after any type of work that I was doing at that time. 
is that when you kind of got so you know self-awareness is something important but we don't always have it when did you kind of realize that this is kind of the road i want to do like when you started getting better and, and doing the public speaking and and working on yourself when did that moment happen do you kind of remember you know i i think that moment happened for me around 2010 mm. I remember I was on Facebook one day, just kind of browsing different French profiles. And I came across this guy who was a public speaking coach, mm-hmm. mostly for um, mostly for the high school market. But his, uh, his whole class was online, even though he was based here in California. And so I remember like, like kind of like looking at this course and being like, huh, you know what? I've never taken an online course. Um, I've never been part of a mastermind, anything like that. But this guy was like, his videos were all about the fact that people need to hear your voice. People need to hear your story. And this is a viable business. And I remember just like watching these videos and thinking, Maybe I could be a public speaker, but this course at the time, I want to say was about $1,500 to $2,000, which was money I did not have. Right. And so I um, I kind of wavered because there's something about it that was, that was interesting, you know, definitely along the same path of what I was doing. But I was nervous because, you know, here this guy is talking about the fact that you can make just as much money in public speaking that you can in a nine to five. And you'll feel great because people will will connect with you. People want to speak to you afterwards. It's a great platform for writing a book. And it's a great platform for all this other stuff for, you know, to, to establish your own personal brand. Sure. And so I started thinking, I was like, well, I still can't afford the $2,000. And so I remember I called up the the admissions people and they were like, well, to be perfectly honest with you, like if you execute to a T everything that we're teaching you, you're going to recoup that money because you'll be able to charge $5,000, $10,000 per speaking gig. Um, but you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be magical. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but it will, it will be something that is going to sustain you and it's going to help to, you know, get you where you want to go. And I think that that was the the moment where the volunteering started to become a little bit more like, okay, I now need a coach in order to figure out how to establish myself as a business owner in order to figure out how to make what I'm sure. doing, what I'm happy about into something that's a viable, you know, product that people can actually buy. Yeah, yeah. So it was really, for me, I think it was really that, that moment when I decided to invest in a coach and to invest in a program that things um, really, and, and, and seriously taking my time to thoroughly go through the material and thoroughly like spend my time to develop my website and my speaking reel and make contacts and, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes into actually establishing a business. Websites, no, not to build a freaking website. So you um, made the leap. I made the leap. That was it. Girl, I'd be so stressed. Are you, you made the leap? You didn't have the money. No. 
But you made not even close. Not even close. At this point in time, I actually was also working with um, a co- let's see, I don't know what exactly to call it, but it basically it was a debt financial um, services for broke people. Oh, is that the one where they consolidate it and they they pay it for you? You pay them or something? I w- I consider that one, but no, this was one. It was called Green. I think it's called Green Debt Solutions. I could be wrong, um, but basically they they're like counselors. And they say like, hey, okay, look, you have this Citibank card at like 25% APR. Jeez. <laughs> that, is, that is a true a true rate. And I was so pissed because at that point in time, I had never missed a payment. But because of the crisis of 2008, sure. they, they just jacked up my APR. Yeah. And so I was like, what do I do about this? I can't, like, I have no power. And one of the things they were like, actually, you do have power. Just stop paying it. And I was like, that's going to mess up my credit. Yeah. And they're like, but but they'll give you options. They'll give you more options to actually close the account and because they want their money. And if you stop paying them, this is going to be a better negotiating arm for them to say like, okay, look, we'll, we'll close out the account. And that's what I did. So at that point in time, I was at least 20,000 in, uh, in credit card debt. I'm over here. Blink, blink, blink. What? <laughs> blink, blink, blink. Yeah. If it wasn't like, I think at the lowest, it was at 10 and at some point it was at 20 and I, uh, and I wasn't making any money in New York city. So, um, so people from green debt solutions were like, this is how you can budget to like save more money. This is how you get rid of your five credit cards. I think I had at the time it was like Citibank and Amex and Chase and bank of America. Um, and I had my student loans from grad school, from undergrad. Um, uh, yeah. So, so, so in the process of like, also like stepping into my career, I also had to figure out how to just get rid of massive debt. And, um, and, you know, fortunately, like over a couple of years, I was able to pay off the credit card debt, you know, still working on my student loans, but I feel a lot Aren't better. We all? About <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all about that one? But uh, congrats on on clearing the the credit card debt because I would have been stressed about that. Were there options? I feel like you know, like for people who are chasing their dreams and like looking to to do something, you know, it's not we're we're holistic people, and so you know, you can feed your soul with going into something that you're passionate about, but you still need to take care of you know your family, or you might need to take care of your finances, and and so it, for me, it was a matter of like really being um, really being truthful with myself with what I needed help with and where I could get it. So the course you took that you took this leap of faith on, was it, was it worth taking that leap of faith? Absolutely. All right. I'm like, if anybody else is like me, I'm like, please tell me this was a happy ending with this leap of faith that you didn't have to find someone else who kind of, cause I know you're, you're a successful speaker today, but I didn't know if we were going to credit to this leap of faith or, or something else. So I'm here like biting my, my nails. I'm like, Oh, was this it? Was this it? Secondhand stress, y'all. Secondhand stress. <laughs> I'm like, was this it? Congratulations. Thanks, thanks. It was definitely the leap of faith because if I hadn't done that, there, there's, there would be no who I am today. But I, I want to make it clear. The fact that she took the leap of faith is one thing, but let's not get it twisted. It's the work she put in that made it happen. Because I don't want, I don't want you all putting in, you know, money to courses that. You think we'll just make it work. She put the work in, right? 
tons of work. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's just make that clear. Okay. We, we took the leap of faith, but then we did the work to make sure that it um, was actually going to benefit me. Nice. And, and it did. I mean, you've had, and we, we talked about a few of the sponsors, but I mean, you're still speaking. You've spoken at a number of other places, including my alma mater, I see, UMBC. Oh, yes. Woot, woot. Retrievers. Yes. Yes. UMBC was actually one of the first schools that actually paid me a legitimate um, speaking rate. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And they, that was another turning point for me because right prior to speaking at UMBC, I spoke at NYU and, um, and I was like, all right, cool. I'm making it. Like I'm speaking at NYU. This was the Stern School of Business. Uh, you know, I set my rates and then, you know, I did, I did the deed. And then uh, an agent emails me and he's like, hey, we, we saw your, um, actually, they had seen my live show. I, I host uh, a live show called Barbershop Story, Stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the agent had come to the live show. They're like, hey, we saw you speak and tell some stories. And we hear that you're doing some, some speaking gigs around storytelling and leadership. So, um, you know, we have this partner with UMBC. Can you speak there for X amount? And X amount was about, <laughs> I don't know, like 10 times the amount. No, no, no. X amount was more like 25 times the amount uh, that I had charged NYU. Wow. And that's when I realized how much speakers actually get paid. <laughs> and how, much, how to actually do it the right way. Because... I clearly have not done it the right way. Wow. But you learned from that and adjusted, course corrected? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, because I, I realized that, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a speaker, as a business owner, whatever, there's one of two models you can go with. Oh, one of those models is to try and get as many people as you possibly can at a low cost or to have fewer clients at a higher cost. And... I would prefer to have fewer clients at a higher cost, so I'm not traveling as much. And so it meant being able to show the value of what I'm providing. And um, and then for people and organizations that couldn't afford it, if my heart was in it, then, then sure, I'm going to give you like the homie rate. I'm going to give you the nonprofit fund rate. Um, but that became more of um, an option once I was able to raise my, my rates. Wow. I mean, the thing is, right, people see you where you are today and have no idea what you went through to get to this point. Yeah. No. I mean, it's funny because as a storyteller, I do share parts of my story, mm-hmm. but I don't share a lot of my career journey a lot of the time. So a lot of people just see the fact that, you know, that I've spoken at, you know, your alma mater or at TED or sure, wherever yeah. they're impressed by. And, um, and, it's just like, wow, that's awesome. You know, uh, overnight sensation. Yes. <laughs> I'm against that concept, guys. It's not true. <laughs> it's not Definitely true. Definitely not an overnight sensation. No. And, it, and what you went through is not an overnight thing. No. But if you look back, would you change anything? Is there anything you would have done differently to get to this point? I know often people are like, no, everything I did learn. But now knowing... What you know, hindsight, 
Do you think there was a different path you could have taken to get here? That's a great question. I think that there are a few paths that would have led me here, but I think that they all probably consist of a lot of the same steps. Mm. I think that the fact that I pulled the trigger to say, okay, enough with the temping, let me find something that can be a um, something that is both a passion and a profit was um, was a step that I had to take. And I, and, you know, I, I possibly could have done that in podcasting instead of through storytelling, because I think that in general, I'm just connected to and interested in, in, in ideas. Um, you know, I perhaps could have actually gotten more money or internship, but you know, that first step I think is still the same in terms of finding something that is going to get you kind of like a quote unquote foot in the door, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the like the next step of actually taking it to the next level and hiring a coach, I possibly could have done that differently. But if I didn't hire a coach, I definitely don't think I would have been in this scenario. Uh, I do think that I'm fortunate that I found the right coach. You know, I think that a lot of times people just sign up for any old online course or any old buddy who looks like they might know something without really doing enough research. Sure. So I think that there are, there are different steps that I possibly could have taken my, I possibly could have found a woman mentor or a mentor of color or a person who was actually in the college space, which is the space that I wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. And that probably would have let me know a lot sooner that my rates were way too, way too low for the market that I was working in. Right. You know, um, but overall, I think that, a lot of the steps that I ended up taking, um, be it the specific step that I took or the general step, I think that uh, a lot of it probably would still let me to to what I'm doing now. So the other thing I wanted to talk about is because w- one of the things you talk about in your speaking or in your teaching and your coaching is story. And one of the things I think people need to understand is that they are unique and that their story is just as important. And fun fact, you and I are both twins. Yes. I found that out. And I was like, she's a twin. I'm a twin. You have a twin brother or twin sister? Twin sister. Are you guys identical or fraternal? Identical. Oh, snap. Yeah. Yeah. And you have an identical brother. No. <laughs> identical sister? No. Fraternal. Fraternal brother. Okay. Yes. And uh, it's funny because I'm I'm currently looking at a picture of him enjoying uh, our last vacation together uh, in Australia. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Twins. Twinsies. Well, so the thing I say, the reason I say that is, you know, often people, oftentimes, you know, in hindsight, identical brother doesn't make sense. In hindsight, I was like, why did I say that? But. I know it just hit me. It's just that, like, what are you thinking, Amy? Um, so the thing I, the reason I say this, and I wrote a letter about this is oftentimes people think because my sister looks like me, we have similar backgrounds. Um, we must have the same story, mm. you know? And I'm like, that's not true though, because her insight and perspective changes Yes, her view and changes her story because it impacts her differently. So can you talk a little bit about story and why 
a person's story is so important? Absolutely. I think that a lot of people, first off, everybody has a story. If you're a human, if you're listening to this, you have a story. If you're living, if you're breathing, you have a story. And I think that a lot of people don't know either what story to share sometimes, or they might get worried about um, the parts of the story. Like, am I speaking too for too long? Am I speaking too, too short? Am I losing people? Um, there's all the different aspects of, of story and storytelling. And, you know, the thing that I've, that I've realized over the years is that the more that you're able to actually share succinctly just one moment from your life and not to tell it as an antidote, like, you know, just as a joke, but actually to start people from the beginning of a particular journey to take you through kind of like the problems, the crisis and to lead them to. And that's when I realized, or that's when I saw that X, Y, and Z, um, it kind of shows you the values of a person. It kind of shows you not only like what this person has gone through, but why it's significant to them, you know? And so one of the things that I love being able to do is, um, is actually just sit with people and to ask them or to give them actually a series of prompts to see what, what response to that, what, like what kind of responses I can get from them. Because it's, um, because I never know anybody's story. I have mm. no clue, you know, like a hundred percent of the time that I go into a coaching session, um, you know, you may have written stuff about who you are online. And that is not typically the story that you share when we really kind of get down to the heart of the matter. So, um, and once you get down to the heart of the matter, you actually see that people are so much more either connected to you or inspired. So, um, but, you know, but once again, kind of getting back into those issues that people face with storytelling or telling their own you know, or, or giving a speech or presentation. Sure. It, you know, it, I work a lot also on just like, okay, so this is how you edit it. And this is what an arc is, and, you know, and this is how you should put it together. So, uh, so a lot of it is like, you know, is, is actually just kind of understanding first that A, you have a story, B, the story is worthy and needs to be shared and C, how to actually do it in a way that's true to you. You're not trying to be a stand-up comedian. You're not trying to do improv. You're just trying to authentically tell a story that um, that we probably can't just read on the internet. Yeah. I hope you guys heard that. Because <laughs> I think there is a distinction, right? There, there are so many things. I think sometimes that people stop at the social media level. And it's like, but that's not it i think we're conditioned to think that but it's not right no i mean the the basis of human existence was the stories that we would pass on from from either like father son mother daughters you know communities um you know from way 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 back to like when we were evolving as humans they would be like okay that barrier over there is gonna kill you son you know to to nowadays where we actually can take a story of vision, like an MLK speech, and talk about the present, how this is a situation, but the future, we can see more like democracy, we can see more people like, you know, integration, we can see this the better America, you know, um, and, and those are all stories. Those are all like, you know, visions and ideas and experiences and how we articulate them are all part of what we've seen, what we've experienced and what we want to see in the future and how things can change. 
um, or what we've realized about ourselves, what we realize about society, you know, so it's all story. Story is powerful, guys. That's why we keep talking about it. That's why I keep harping about it to you all, because everyone's story is different. doesn't matter if you're twins or if you're like no two snowflakes are the same. No two people are the same, regardless. Exactly. Exactly. And actually, my TED talk is about uh, my twin brother and a lesson that he taught me because my twin actually were very different in regards to the fact that he has special needs. So statistically, we're one in a million um, where one twin is fine and the other one has special needs. And so part of my story uh, at the TED Talk was always about, um, well, was about how I was always assuming that I um, was kind of like the one who needed to like look out for him or I needed to make sure that even though that we're twins, you know, I just, um, I needed to make sure that my brother was was taken care of. Uh, And so I was like fiercely competitive and all that kind of stuff. But there was something that happened at UCLA that switched all of that for me when um, I realized that my competitive nature was not what he needed. He needed to be seen and treated and felt like an equal, Mm. um, like somebody who could participate in society. And so even though we're completely different um, in many, many regards, there was an aha moment that that happened for me as related to him. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that, that, that twin journeys, regardless of identical, fraternal, or even sibling journeys, you know, all kinds of different stories are totally valid because you never know when or where you're going to get hit with inspiration. No doubt. No doubt. And that's something Jamie and I, my twin, um, talk about is, you know, even though we have similar things, it's different stories. It's different. Twins face it a lot, but siblings also, right? You guys, doesn't matter. You don't have to be twins to feel this way or even close friends probably feel it as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like, like nowadays it's, it's funny because speaking about twins, um, one of my other storytelling buddies, he's also a twin, uh, identical twin and he is openly gay and his twin brother is not. Mm. And, and so I think that just because, you know, we all, or we all, <laughs> you and your twin and a lot of identical twins have the same um, DNA, you know, the same genetic composition. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to see things differently and we're going to experience things differently because our souls are are different. We're not the same person. So true. So true. Now, Don, one of the things I want to do with people before I let them go is ask, what is something that you would recommend a dream chaser to do today to chase their dreams? Something that they should do today, not tomorrow, not later, one action. What would you say? Before I answer that, can I ask a question? Yeah. How much of your audience do you think either like journals, writes, kind of reflects on their own actions? A low percentage. Low percentage. Mm -hmm. Okay. How much of your audience um, do you think has taken the time to self-reflect? A little higher percentage. But I don't think they journal those thoughts. And I think I think uh, they may not realize they're self-reflecting. Gotcha. Because one of the actions that I think is, is necessary is that self-reflection, regardless of how it's done. Mm-hmm. 
if it's done by writing in a journal, if it's done by talking to a therapist or talking to a friend or talking to somebody, um, you know, that's a, a, an elder, for example, um, about them, specifically about what makes them happy, specifically around why they want to pursue a particular, because to be honest with you, it comes down to the why. Why do you want to do this? And if you don't have a compelling why and uh, for for following a certain path, it's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And so in order to find that why, you have to spend some time like either really digging to the source of your motivations. And I think that one of the best ways to do that is to, is to, to spitball those ideas. You know, I, um, I, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but I remember back in about 2012, I went to a place where I could actually take different tests, cognitive tests to see what I was good at. And one of those tests was, um, I mean, one of those, one of the results of those tests was like, I was really good in auditory stuff, like stuff with audio and good with ideas. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I reflected on that a bit. I was like, okay, ideas and audio. So that means I could probably do like journalism or I can be a writer um, or I could be in radio because with audio stuff, obviously, you know, um, or even languages because of the rhythm and tonal stuff. And, and so that took some reflection to be able to, to, to take some, some time and to translate those, those tests into something that, that was actually exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, so some people that might be taking, taking a similar type of a test or, and then taking some time to actually reflect on, okay, what kind of careers are going to make me happy? Uh, what type of life do I want to live? You know, so I think that that self-reflection doesn't have to take any one form. I think it can take many forms, um, but it's it's important to spend that time digging and finding that why and um, and just going for it. I love it. And I, I think it all goes back to that. And so, guys, listen to her. <laughs> listen to her. Don't. I feel wise. <laughs> you are. You are. You are a teacher, a sensei, and an amazing guest. Thank you so much for coming onto the show, Don. It was fantastic. Thank you, Amy. This was great. Really appreciate it. Hey guys, that was Don Frazier. Isn't she awesome? Yeah, I only bring quality people on the show, so the answer is yes. But isn't she awesome? You guys can find all of the notes and links we mentioned on the show notes page over at amyj21.com slash episode 164. That's episode 164. Until next time, Dream Chasers, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.